clear the runway for the ace of the airways. Flying in a cargo hold filled with great music and the best in locally produced community programs. Land your dial at KAADLP 103.5 FM Sonora and streaming at KAAD-LP.org. Tiki, folks, and I got Captain Dave right over here. We're party for duty, sir. Yeah, we're back. Took a little break there. Well, it was Thanksgiving. I know. I, I did have a panic attack. Though. I was like, oh my God, I've got to go do the show. Wait a minute, it's Thanksgiving. So uh, on my microphone, I have a, uh, a little sign on my microphone. It says, talk here. And it has an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> you better talk there then. I better talk. So I'm here to explore another one of life's little mysteries. 
Yeah, and the way they got it set up, you got your neck all craned out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every time we come in, it's laid out differently. Yeah, it is. It is, it really is. <laughs> it's one of my subtle mysteries every time we show up. Well, uh, the other day I had all four of these microphones gone, so. Wow. Yeah, you know, the fair that happened down at the fairgrounds? Yeah. They all came up here. Oh, Because wow. they knew I couldn't get down there. So they had a little fair here uh, in the studio with some musicians. Oh, right on. Yeah. <laughs> it was a way to promote their fair. That's true. And I couldn't get away. I went the next day, though. No, it was a good fair. Yeah. I enjoyed it. So, <clears throat> did you get enough turkey? I, uh, I'm turkeyed out. I didn't have any turkey. Well, good for you. I, no, I love turkey, and I, I look it. forward to it, but after about four days... You're done. Yeah, you're done with turkey, although I have some in the freezer. Of course. <laughs> Pull out for a soup. No, I, I, had a, I had prime rib. Oh, boy. I went to the magical uh, village of Solvang. Oh, yeah, that's right. You brought me cookies. I brought you cookies. That's beautiful. <laughs> no, I mean, my favorite tiki bar is there. All right. So we had to go visit our favorite tiki bar. What? The High Roller. Our life experiences are so different. What, what a strange pairing we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly a, a bizarre pairing. No, I mean, it, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic tiki bar. It really is. Yeah, in my case, the school district was handing out free turkeys. So uh, we were all excited that we were going to have turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it was a buffet, and it was all the, all the prime rib you could eat. Well, and so I had like one piece. I'm sure you took advantage of that. No, I couldn't. I only had like a piece and a half. All right. Did you have the horseradish sauce? Of course. Oh, yeah. I was uh, going to bring you back some prime rib, but I wasn't no, sure. No, I think the cookies were probably a better decision. <laughs> yeah, but next time I'll bring you a tiki mug. All right. I used to, uh, I've been to uh, La Haya or La Naya or so, uh, in Redwood City. I'm going to look it this up. It's beautiful uh, place. I wonder if it's still there. I'm going to look it up. You keep uh, talking. Well, they had the entire wall was set up somehow like a, the, a humongous beer sign and, and the waves on the painting of the wall would actually roll in and roll out. And you said it's common in those places to have um, the rum drinks and the big fish bowls. Yeah, scorpion bowl. Yeah, so that was a new experience for me. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to search for this one. <clears throat> well, tiki bars... Uh, they're few and far between. It used to be a tiki bar in every corner at one time. Yes, that is true. They're they're gaining popularity now. <clears throat> so over the last few years, they there are quite a few more. But yeah, it kind of died out for a while. And uh, I know you enjoy the Exotica music. I do. I have an entire playlist of Exotica music for our break. We got uh, some uh, Herb Albert, Arthur Lyman. It's going to be good. Uh, yeah, I have a uh, friend in Boston, uh, Mr. Ho, Mr. Brian O'Neill, and his Orca Estradica. We should play some of the music. Yeah, I'll bring in some. He yeah, tra actually transcribed Esquivel's music. Yeah, you were telling uh, me that. Music. And uh, 
when Esquivel had to get out of town real quick and he left, left all his uh, transcriptions behind in Vegas or wherever he was. Yeah. And uh, they got lost. And well, that would be quite, quite the job. I mean, that's genius level stuff. Oh, you know? for sure. Yeah, that's bachelor pad. <laughs> yeah. Bachelor pad, surfy. There, yeah, there's actually stuff. there's a tiki-ish magazine called Bachelor Pad. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> yeah, it's different. <laughs> but no, my favorite tiki bar is there. So okay. we definitely had to had to hit the high roller. In fact, my jacket is from the high roller. Uh, okay, does it have a tiki god on it? You know, I don't know. No, is it the kahuna on there? You know, uh, on my mom's side of the family, they're Portuguese from Hawaii, Hilo, Hawaii. Yeah, you're right. And uh, my grandmother was a spiritualist. She was actually right. raised in the streets of Oakland. Right. But she came from that stock. But whenever she talked about the spirit world, there would be the kahunas. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. For real. I mean, it, yeah, it's... No, the the tiki thing, you know, it's it's uh, there's some really good ones now. There's actually a, a new one uh, that I was reading about. I think it's in San Diego, and it's a there's one called Paradise Lost that I want to visit. But there's one in San Diego. It's kind of like a space one, like astronauts. Well, you can do a uh, travel guide. You okay. go to every tiki bar across America and uh, make a book. You know the <clears throat> the weirdest one I went to. Uh, I was in Florida, and I went to the Tiki Hut. I think it's the Tiki Hut. Yeah, the Tiki Hut, and it's it's like a legit like Tiki Hut. It's out on a pier. At the very end of the pier is this Tiki Hut, and it's a bar and a restaurant. And so I got all excited because, you know, it's one of the more famous old-school Tiki bars. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. So I go, and I ask the guy, I'm like, so, you know, I eat my food and I, I have my drink. And I ask, I go to have my drink. I'm like, do you guys have a tiki mug? Because one of the things about tiki bars, they all have tiki mugs. And you collect the tiki mugs from the different ones you go to, right? And so they're like, oh, no, no, we're out. I'm like, oh, okay. So he's like, well, ask the other bar. So I go and ask the other bar. Oh, no, no, we're out. It turns out that their tiki mug is a coconut shell that they had carved out into a monkey face. Oh, yeah, I've seen those, actually. Yeah, and it, it's the same tiki mug that you get at every every tiki bar on the Space Coast. I was thinking it's going to have a rocket or, you know, something, because, I mean, I'm, I'm across the bay from Cape Canaveral, right? No, it's it's a coconut. It's literally a coconut. Well, we would have, uh, I, I guess, I one, but equivalent of luau's when I was growing up as a kid because of the Hawaiian influence on my mom's side of the family. Yeah. And my grandmother would come out in her murmur, colored, brightly colored murmur. And, there you uh, go. And we would get the coconuts and crack them open and drink the milk. I never cared for coconuts so much, but um, she used to give me, and I guess she used to be able to buy them to the store, just stocks of sugar cane. Oh, in Hawaii. And you yeah. just kind of suck on them. Yeah, you chew on them. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, they're uh, good. Yeah, they are good. They're and that's, really good. Uh, my grandmother would always have one of those for me. Well, you know, <clears throat> it is my dream. And I actually talked to the guy at High Roller, and I told him about this. <clears throat> it is my dream. And my girlfriend and I, we want to open a tiki bar here in Sonora. I think it would go. 
yeah, I think it would do okay. But it, we want to open a tiki bar in Sonora. Um, Mine mine themed. Uh, the reason why I like the music so much is that uh, the whole purpose of the music is to create moods. Yeah, it's an immersive experience. Uh, and uh, it could be a variety of moods. And it's supposed to take you places, but not to a real place, to an imagined place, a uh, heightened, uh, fantasized Oh, yeah, it's a completely uh, fantasized vision of the South Pacific. And, well, it's just not the... Uh, all the... Um, uh, Herb Albert and uh, uh, what other kind of music? Actually, even surf music, maybe a sure. James Bondy kind of oh, music, yeah. the detective noir. Um, they call it secret agent music. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's all kind of from that, just yeah. to create an atmosphere, sure. a mood. Yeah, no, there are all kinds of tiki bars. The one Paradise Lost, it was like, it was like if surfers descend into hell. <laughs> We used to go swing dancing at some club in uh, San Francisco that had a tiki bar. I still think that you went to the Tonga Room. Oh, okay. They, they have, have swing a, dancing? Yeah, they still do. They, they have a band. It was the pool. <clears throat> and in the center is where the pool is. And they have a boat that goes out in the middle. And they have, like, I would have remembered that. They have a surf band that goes out. And then they have like tiki huts all the way around. Um, and then it rains. I just remember when the uh, girls went to do the aerials. You know, oh, there yeah. were different stages of people knowing how to swing dance. And when they got up and they started taking flight, uh, then the rest of us sat down. And I always thought of myself as a pretty good swing dancer. So I've never seen you swing dance. Yeah, well, that was another time. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, the girls liked it when you knew how to dance. That's true. Uh, all right. Well, for tonight, <clears throat> we have an interesting guest. We have a guest tonight. His name is Ron Patton. Uh, I'll be bringing him on here in a couple minutes. He, he had to come on a little bit late, but we're going to depart from the Tuolumne weirdness, and we're going to do mind control. Okay. So I'm, uh, I'm my, controlling your mind. Okay. We will control the transmission. No, that's the outer limits. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is MK Ultra. All right. Yeah, so he, he he is an expert in mind control. Not not like in literally controlling people's minds, but <clears throat> like the history of it, the procedures, the processes, and everything else. He he has a quite a breadth of information about how mind control is done, the history of it. Etc. Etc. Well, you know, the uh, mostly what I know about MK Ultra is just what's in popular culture. Uh, yeah. Actually, there's a lot of it if you come think about it. Oh yeah. Uh, a lot of stories are based on that. It is. Uh, they stare at goats, don't they? Men, men who stare at goats. Yeah, and then there was that another was one. That, uh, that was Jim Shannon. That's that's the whole like mind over matter thing. Okay. Um, I do know that uh, uh, people like Oscar Janiger, he used to get his LSD from Sandoz, and yeah, he yeah. was like licensed to do the experiments. I mean, this was way before Timothy Leary decades. And uh, this is during when Cary Grant and Anias and then he do the, he was actually a Beverly Hills psychiatrist, but he invented set and setting and all that, and all of a sudden the CIA came in. 
And so we're confiscating all your Sandoz. Yeah. And then a few years after that, that's when uh, Vic Lovell, psychodrama guy, suggested to Ken Kesey he could make a little money by volunteering, and they were doing some experiments at the Veterans Hospital. There you go. And then LSD uh, came out. Of, in a way, the CIA, all the LSD that came out at that time in the beginning was CIA, CIA LSD. Well, let's bring him on. Hold on a second. Hopefully, I've got, uh, I got him on here. Ron, are you there? I am here. So is this like legit FCC regulated radio? Yes, we are licensed by the uh, FCC. So uh, do your call. We got to do one every half hour. I'll let you do this. (laughs) Okay. You're listening to KAADLP 103.5 FM Sonora and streaming at KAAD-LP.org. He does it so much better than I do. Well, I have to do it several times a day. That's true. Well, welcome to the show, Ron. Right on. Well, thank you. I just, just got off work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I uh, drove here. Yeah, tonight we talked about uh, how the uh, wicked devil died yesterday, Henry Kissinger. And oh. So that was our show on Ground Zero tonight. Well, there you go. Yeah, I heard he was quite the playboy. He was. He dated a lot of models and, and movie stars. Oh, he was just on this power oh, yeah. thing. Huh? He was quite quite the swinger at Bohemian Grove. Yes, yes, he was, apparently. 100, right? <laughs> we, yeah, 100. Yeah. Wow. Well, so. And Olaf, Olaf and I were there, man. We were at the Bohemian Grove back in 2012. Yeah, we went to Occupy Bohemian Grove. Got was, to hang out with some anarchists. You see the big owl, or <laughs> no? <laughs> no, but I did. I did talk to one of the chefs, and you know the people that work there were coming out, and you know they really wanted nothing to do with any of us because they probably figured they'd get in trouble. And I walked the guy. He was obviously he was in a chef's uniform, and he had his knife bag. And uh, I walked. He's like, "No, no, I don't want any part of this stuff. I'm just I just work here. I don't want it." I'm like, no, I have a really, just a really basic question for you. He's like, okay. I said, it has nothing to do with conspiracies or any of that stuff. I don't want to hear about the owl or who you fed or whatever. I have a very simple question. He goes, okay, sure, what's your question? I said, what do you, you're a chef there. He goes, yes, I'm an actual sous chef at the Bohemian Grove. I said, okay, <clears throat> what do you serve? Because you're talking about the most powerful people in the world, the richest, most power. I mean, Kissinger was there. You know, presidents are there. Heads of companies are there. What, what do you feed these people? Because I was curious. He goes, and he starts laughing. He, yeah. goes, he goes, oh, you wouldn't believe what we feed him. I'm like, well, what do you feed him? He's like, cafeteria crap. Uh, it's just cafeteria no. crap. Well, let's have a hot dog barbecue. Yeah. yeah, it was. he's like, you know what you got in school? It's worse than that. I'm like, okay, so you're a sous chef yeah. at a crappy restaurant. And he goes, basically, yes. <laughs> I thought that was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, those were quite exciting times for sure, though. It was, it was. But So we got you on here to talk about mind control. So I don't know, did you hear what, what he was just talking about? I said... Um, oh, he was talking about the LSD experiments and uh, sort of the uh, in crowd around the Bay Area who were uh, utilizing the uh, 
Orange Sunshine. Orange Sunshine. I haven't heard that word in a long time. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Originally, uh, it started off Oscar Janiger down, he was a Beverly Hills psychiatrist, and Sandoz gave him this drug to uh, experiment with. And uh, he's the one that came up with set and setting and all, all those terminologies that you, with the LSD experience. And then the CIA came in and confiscated and said, they shut him down. You're out of business. All that's ours. Mm -hmm. And then uh, later on, um, Vic Lovell, who was a, psych a psychiatrist, Stanford, the psychodrama dude, suggest they're all living on Perry Lane. And they said... Uh, he suggests you want to make a little after, you know, to work your way through school money. Sure. Uh, the Veterans Hospital is doing some experiments, and it was some kind of MK Ultra uh, testings, and it was actually the CIA LSD that first came out into the community that turned everybody on. Um, was it smuggled out of the veterans' hospitals? Well, I don't know. Uh, That's yeah, probably a but it was all wrong. CIA uh, stuff. And then I remember, see, all I remember is stuff out of popular culture, right. So John Lilly, and he was a famous in the counterculture thing, but he, what he was working on, he was working for the government, and it was some kind of mind control because he was the first guy to realize if you wanted to test brain activities in Reese's monkeys, you didn't have to chop off their skull. You could implant these like hyperdermic needles and get it directly and he figured out how to hook it up to a tv set so he could see the wave patterns and the government came to him and they wanted uh to do experiments for mind control and it's amazing what scientists you know he wants to finance his research right, right. and so he went along with them so far but um then uh, he went off on his own in the isolation tanks and stuff like that. So I guess what I'm saying is the only thing I know about MK Ultra is what comes out of popular culture. Um, I've never really thought about. Uh, I know it came into the news when that they slipped one of the scientists uh, dose and he jumped out oh, the yeah. window or maybe got pushed Frank, out a window. Frank Olson, yeah. yeah. Frank Olson, he was and he allegedly jumped out of the window, but uh, I think he got a little help from uh, one of his handlers. Well, the, <clears throat> there's a manual in the CIA <clears throat> that's an assassination manual, right? And in, in the assassination manual, it's very clear. It's like you have to strike them on the right temple with a blunt force object or blunt object for blunt force trauma mm -hmm. to knock them out. Then you toss them out a window on right. a, on a building that is above 13 stories. Well, and well, so when, when Frank Olson died, when they recovered the body, he had fallen out of a window 13 stories up, and he had a he had blunt force trauma to his right temple. Well, so uh, why yep. did that happen? Was he going to be a whistleblower? Or? That's a complicated story. That, um, that's correct. He yeah. yeah, he was starting to develop a uh, conscience about what he was doing, and... Uh, so there were some people in the CIA that were that caught wind of that, and so I think he had to uh, be terminated with extreme prejudice, as they say. But there, there is there is some debate because his son, who's also a psycho psychoanalyst, 
I forget where he works. I think yeah. it was Harvard. But his, his son, who's a psychoanalyst, became obsessed with his death. And there's actually a really good documentary uh, called Wormwood. I think it's on Netflix. And he basically goes through yep. the whole thing. And what, according to him, what, and there's an in- interesting sidebar to this, but according to him, what it came down to is that they were worried because he developed a conscience that Olson was either going to expose the ultra program, which at that point was mm-hmm. gaining steam. And we'll let Ron go through the history of it because he knows it far better than I do. But he was going to either expose ultra or he was going to expose a chemical weapons program that he was working on. And at the end, his Olson's son went to Errol Morris, who's a very famous investigative reporter. And he said to Errol Morris, I want to know why they killed him. First, he said, I want to know if there's a file in the vault. And so somehow Errol Morris figured out that there was a file in the vault. They covered Frank Olson. And so then they, the guy's son went back to Errol Morris and said, I want to know what's in there. I want to know why they killed him. And so Errol Morris went and talked to somebody at the CIA who went down and took a look at the file in the vault and came back and said, I can't tell you. So we're, you, don't, you don't want to know, but I can't tell you. So that's weird for Errol Morris. That kind of, I don't know. I mean, they say that's the beginning of when it was closed down, the program, right? Right. And who knows? I mean, really. But we, that's kind of well, like the end of the story. It, it gets crazier. It never, they, they, they never go away. No, I'll let Ron do that. So, Ron. But let's go from the beginning, well, though, yes, first. Let's, let's go from the beginning, Ron. <laughs> What is the MK Ultra program? Why was it well, started and when? When when where is the beginning of, of mind control? Well, I mean, it was actually even prior to the end of World War Two because the OSS with uh, Wild Bill Donovan at the helm was trying to procure as many Nazi scientists and doctors as possible because uh, they were considered assets to all kinds of different programs that the United States could utilize. And they wanted to try to get them before the Soviets did. And so, you know, they had something called Operation Paperclip, where they got the, the top Nazis into the U.S., but they went into South America first. They wanted things to kind of cool off a little bit, and then they... Uh, had them go through the Catholic Church there, and then eventually they came up to the United States, and uh, Reinhard Gellin, who was the chief intelligence officer for Hitler, um, actually is the guy who helped start the uh, the CIA and uh, around 1947, I believe. Um, Prior to that, it was the OSS, but uh, actually a lot of our, a lot of the uh, Nazis that were under his wing um, were involved with the, the first CIA operation. It was actually called the CIG in 46, and then 47 they called CIA, and uh, the rest is history. But during World War II, there was this one uh, psychiatrist by the name of George Estabrook, who used to tell people that he could create a hypno-career assassin. And uh, 
he said it was actually fairly easy to do. And he was able to get, demonstrate that to some extent, but a lot of the information was sort of uh, covered up and, and not too much was mentioned about it. But uh, with a lot of these Nazi doctors and scientists, I think that was sort of the beginning of uh, some of the mind control experiments that the United States was involved in. But, you know, of course, what they say is they wanted to be able to beat the Soviets at this game of so-called brainwashing because they saw what happened with some of the POWs uh, that were captured by the North Koreans. And that's when I believe the, the term brainwashing was used. And, uh, so I believe around 1953 is when MKUltra came into existence and there were allegedly about 149 sub-projects under MKUltra. And the reality is we only know about 80% of, or excuse me, we only know 20% of what happened. 80% was redacted during the, uh, right before the church hearings back in the mid 70s. Right, because things like Monarch, Operation Monarch, were part of Ultra, but there's no like, paper trail. Now, what is Monarch? Well, yeah, with, Pro- with Project Monarch, uh, I think that was sort of a combination of different subprojects. Uh, uh, so- there's no s- official documentation to substantiate uh, Project Monarch, but you sort of can piecemeal different projects together. And basically what Project Monarch had to do with was uh, the creation of multiple personality disorder through torture. And what they would do is they would program each alter or personality to do an assigned task or function. So you might have one uh, personality that is an assassin. One might be like a drug mule. The other might be like a human tape recorder. So it was basically you could have the perfect, create the perfect spy and each personality would be amnesic from one another. And how uh, successful were some of these experiments? Um, I, I think with Monarch, it was very successful, but of course they always downplayed it. And I mean, even when they had the church hearings and there were a lot of these TV specials about MKUltra back in the late 70s. They said, yeah, we tried the best we could, but never really amounted to much of anything. But I don't think that was really true because uh, today we see a lot of these survivors from MKUltra, and they talk about the horrendous torture that they went through, and they talk about being used in a... In a covert, subversive ways by the U.S. government. And a lot of these so-called sleeper assassins, 75% are actually women. A lot of people don't realize that, but uh, who who would suspect a a Playboy bunny being involved in, let's say, the uh, assassination of the presidential candidate of Mexico back in the mid-90s? Yeah, well, uh, I would believe it because I they were trying to get dolphins to kill the president, weren't they? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. 
What, wasn't that a John Lilly experiment, though? Uh, yeah, it was based on. Uh, yeah, and there was other ways that he was able to map the brain, and they were uh, trying to get him to stimulate certain parts of the brain to get certain responses and program people that way, mm -hmm. like a bio biocomputer. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they overplayed the LSD thing quite a bit. There, you know, when you saw a lot of those specials, they talked about giving LSD to troops and using it as a possible truth serum. But they, they were using other types of drugs too. I see the movie Jacob's uh, Ladder. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was horrific. I mean, I think that was a good uh, indicator of what may have actually transpired with a lot of uh, soldiers who were experimented on during the Vietnam War. Yeah, so you would see, now the, the Nazis would like purposely infect people. Did, did the American government mm -hmm. do that too? That, yeah. To do experiments to see how much a person could take? And No, I think in that case it was how to spread... Uh, biological weapons. And they would experiment on uh, their own soldiers, their own people? <clears throat> well, they did, it, they did it a number of ways. In, in the Bay uh -huh. Area, they actually released a, a tailored flu virus to see how it would spread. And then there's a whole, like, syphilis experiments, the Tuskegee syphilis experiments and other stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah. To see how in yeah. germ warfare, again, something that Frank Olson worked on was the chemical warfare end of it, but to see how it would spread. No, they were very active. In but the but a lot of those guys who helped help start uh, Fort Detrick and, uh, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the mind control stuff were Nazi doctors and scientists. But, of course, that's, that's never really talked about too much. I actually had a, uh, when I worked as a security officer in Olympia, Washington, back in the 90s, my boss had worked for the DIA. And at the time, I was writing an article called Project Monarch Nazi Mind Control, which was featured in the fall 1996 issue of Paranoia Magazine. And uh, he was just saying, hey, what you doing, Patton? And I go, oh, I'm writing this article about mind control. And his eyes got really big. Mind control? What kind of mind control? And I go, oh, CIA military mind control. And he goes, man, I got to read that. So I let him read the rough draft and he gave me a call and he goes, Hey, Patton, we got to meet up. And I go, why? He goes, Oh, I want to talk to you something about your article. And I go, okay. So we were supposed to meet at McDonald's. And so we meet over there. And he's kind of like looking around. He goes, let's walk over to Burger King. <laughs> I'm okay. going, why is this guy so nervous? It was just so weird. And so I, uh, we went over there and I go, what's going on? And he's going, man, the stuff you wrote about, he goes, I believe a lot of this stuff is true. And the reason is when he was at China Lake Naval Weapons Center, um, keeping tabs, he had to keep tabs on certain military person, top secret clearance. But he, uh, he overheard uh, these doctors and they had these, like, they were older doctors with German accents. And it just made him think. He goes, man, those guys were probably Nazis. <laughs> and uh, he also overheard them saying how easy it was to create artificial schizophrenia. 
in somebody through electronics. And now this was back in the 70s when he was saying this. And so he, he said, so a lot, he goes, some of this stuff I knew used to be classified and I don't know how much is declassified, but he said, just watch your back, buddy, because a lot of this is really sensitive information that you're putting out there. And I go, well, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I was kind of worried about it for a while, but at the same time, I, I felt that um, I did enough research to where I thought it would be beneficial for people to understand sort of the ramifications this type of mind control has upon society. And it affects all aspects of society, too. So uh, it, once it came out in the magazine, the floodgates started opening. And I got all kinds of phone calls from survivors. I believe quite a few were. Some were, I think, just people that had some mental health issues. And so they sort of gravitated to this type of conspiracy theory, per se, to justify their situation. But I had quite a few legitimate uh, mind control survivors, but I, it's like, I, I'm just the messenger. I'm just putting this out there. I can't help you. And that was pretty frustrating when you have so many people where, you know, when they start telling their story about how their, uh, parents were, or their father was, uh, involved in project paperclip and brought over these Nazi doctors and scientists. And then they were involved in some of this experimentation and it's like, Oh man, then, and then later I started looking into uh, doctors, um, psychiatrists, counselors who were actually able to help deprogram some of these individuals. And it, and it took a while because, you know, it's kind of hard to trust people when it, you come down to this type of uh, clandestine, secretive type of information that's out there. But... Uh, you know, I was able to actually get help for some people, but at the same time, there are, there are just a lot of people who unfortunately had to suffer through this and were basically just leftovers from MKUltra and uh, had to suffer a lot of mental anguish and uh, had to be on disability for all their life. Uh, remember that movie Reds, that one character where he was uh, in MKUltra for like a decade or something and the way that he lived and acted? Mm -hmm. See, I, I just know from uh, like in the Haight-Ashbury, the guy that ran the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic uh, was like the CIA mm -hmm. operative dude. Mm -hmm. And they would create these flop houses for the... Uh, old stoned hippies, and then they would experiment on them. Well, in, they had something called uh, Operation Midnight Climax, where yeah. they, they yep. actually constructed a, a brothel. And <clears throat> what they would do is they'd get the Johns to come into the brothel, and then the, the prostitute would say, hey, do you want some water? And dose them with LSD, and then they would come in and interrogate them. <clears throat> well, the, the prostitute would interrogate him. She had a sheet of questions to ask. And everything was hunky-dory. And they were filming it through a two-way mirror. <clears throat> and everything was hunky-dory for a while until one guy took the LSD and he, he freaked out. And he actually jumped out the window. And then they, they were trying to cover it up. 
And so eventually they had to shut down all, uh, shut down Midnight Climax. But they had two. They had one, I think, in Mill Valley over by Moran, and then they, the other one was in Chestnut Street in San Francisco. The house is still there. You can actually go and see the house, but it's obviously not a brothel anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's interesting you bring that up, Olaf, because – there was a lot of MK Ultra activity throughout the Bay Area. Oh yeah, back in the fifties, uh, sixties, uh, and early seventies, uh, Vacaville was another location at the uh, State Hospital. There, oh, they yeah. did a lot of uh, mind control type of, of experimentation there at Vacaville. That was and, an entire uh, sub. That in the Vacaville Mendel facility. That was an entire sub project. I think it was like 127 or something. The entire sub-project was run out of Vacaville. No, and SRI was part of it, and Stanford was heavily involved in it. Well, yeah, I know they were running experiments out of the Veterans Hospital there. Oh, yeah. Well, Menlo Park, technically, I guess, Palo Alto. uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Boy, that's, uh, you know, when the state hospital started closing down, um, I got a lot of those people. So uh, they just threw them out on the streets, and uh, yeah, I worked like at all I these. Said, yeah, there are a lot of people that were just leftovers, unfortunately, and they were subjected to this, uh, you know, horrendous experimentation. That, like I said earlier, this was just uh, an extension of a lot of the Nazi experiments that were done in concentration camps during World War II, and so basically, the U.S. just sort of took that over and, uh, you know, kind of made it into something that uh, branched out into all kinds of different areas under the auspices of the Department of Defense. Well, unfortunately, it was like this cross-pollination thing because it was our state hospital system and the way we locked up anybody that even walked funny and the whole theory of eugenics and stuff, and then got shipped over there and came back. It was the same thing as yep. the uh, um, the Rolling Stones got influenced by Muddy Waters, you know, but on a different mm-hmm. kind, on an unethical scale. <laughs> yeah, I think mm-hmm. you can say that. <clears throat> so, yeah, go ahead. I'm really interested so in this. Uh, not just really interested in this because I only know it from that certain angle by being a street kid in the hate when I was a kid and then going to Stanford. And uh, I just hear rumors, the stuff that was in popular culture, but I never really heard the whole story. You know? uh, right. Well, you know, there's, a, there's another part of this too, and I think there should be a book written about it. And... It's, it's something called the WizKids program. So basically what the U.S. was doing back in the 50s, too, were looking at some of the brightest uh, youngsters in the country, and they had them go through these different types of testings, right? And so uh, I forgot the names of these gifted programs, but I've talked to several people who remember these dudes in these black suits and ties and with these big smiles and brought candy and all kinds of goodies. And it's like, Hey, you know, can you do these tests for us? And 
sure, kids will do that for candy and stuff. And uh, then they would go to their parents and say, you know, your child is uh, a genius. You know, their IQ is whatever, you know, 150 or whatever. And, you know, we'd like to, you know, help facilitate their creativity by offering them some uh, additional schooling. And so this was what was called the WizKids program. And uh, Whitley Stryber, who's an author and an alleged uh, uh, alien abductee, was part of that program. And that's where and, uh, the alien abductee part comes in. <laughs> so they, yeah, and, and mm-hmm. wow, just a minute. Do you remember that movie Toys, where the evil general toy has all the kids that he's brainwashing on uh, the video game machines? Well, there's actually a video game, supposedly that they they use for brainwashing. Uh-huh. Do you want to talk about that? The that was probably probably part of an extension out of Ultra, right? Well, certainly, probably out of Wiz Kids. The what is it? The Polybus? Yeah, hey, I, I forgot what it was called. Wasn't that on Ground Zero like ten years ago? Didn't yeah. we do a show on that? Yeah, we did. <laughs> but it's called the Polybus. Yeah, I think I, I vaguely remember. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was this arcade game that, sh- that showed up out of nowhere. In a cup, in a, a few. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was out of Portland, Oregon, and uh, it, it has sort of this weird urban legend attached to it. There are some people say, "I remember that," and then of course, the official story is that no, that people think they saw that, and there might have been a prototype, but it wasn't really, you know, out there as much as people think. But it, it just seemed like uh, people who played it were just enthralled with it. But at the same time, they have sort of like this loss of memory. And uh, so, you know, who knows? That that could have been something that was utilized. But as far as the WizKids program is concerned, Whitley Stryber talked about um, having these gaps of memory loss. And when he was younger and he remembers like going to Mexico with a bunch of other kids that were very smart and bright and then have no memory. And, you know, throughout his, throughout the years, he really started thinking about this whole alien abduction type scenario. And he was willing to at least consider that part of this was a mind control experiment and there was something called uh, My Labs, which was a sort of a DOD type mind control operation where they would create these alien abduction scenarios to make people think they were they were abducted by aliens and put onto UFOs. But it was just they, what they did is they created a screen memory. And and didn't they over wasn't isn't My Labs where the whole like owl thing came from? where people thought they were being haunted by yeah. owls. Yeah, because they, they uh-huh. would screen memory owls over the aliens, over the the military part. It was like a three-layer yeah. screen yeah. memory. So now what is a screen right. memory? Uh, yeah, what is a, why don't you define a uh, screen memory? 
So it's sort of like, let's say you have some uh, tape, videotape or eight millimeter or whatever, and you're, uh, uh, you splice it, right? You take certain parts out and then you tape certain parts in. So basically what you're doing is you're, you're editing it. So basically what they're doing, the mind control programmers essentially are editing your memory and putting something in place. Uh, like they it, actually started. What like, was that? Like editing a film, like editing a 16 millimeter film. Okay. Yeah. You have to cut and paste. Yeah. It 16 millimeter. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, a lot of this started in Montreal at the Allen Memorial Institute under the auspices of Dr. Ewan Cameron, who was the president of the World Psychiatric Association. And what he would do with some of his uh, mental patients was essentially he'd erase their memory and use something called psychic driving, where not only did he erase her memory, but he would replay this tape over and over again. It would be looped, and they they would put on this helmet. It looked like a football helmet, basically, but there were like uh, speakers, and they would hear this, and they would be comatose. He would put them in a coma for several days, and they would just hear these repeated messages over and over and over again. And so this was sort of the start. And I mean, this is all documented too. Actually, a lot of these Canadian survivors tried to sue the Canadian government, but the Canadian government said, well, the CIA were actually involved in this too. So, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of the survivors weren't able to sue the, the Canadian government just settled out of court along with the CIA. So they wouldn't really have to divulge what actually occurred. But I mean, this, uh, there's a really good movie. If you have the opportunity to see it, it's called the sleep room and it's about Dr. Ewan Cameron's mind control experiments. The reason why they did it up in Canada is the CIA just felt like, well, if it's outside of the country, we have a little bit more leeway to, you know, do certain things. And so, uh, MK ultra was extremely compartmentalized and they would, uh, use it. Uh, they would do experiments at colleges, at prisons, at universities. And so a lot of times, you know, these well-meaning professors or doctors had no idea what the end result would be. Yeah, because you would like to come up with tools that you could heal and make lives better. And then, uh, but instead it's being perverted uh, and being used as weapons. Well, you know, when it comes to compartmentalization, <laughs> I always tell the story of there was this guy that I know of and he, he spent his entire life as a machinist. And he worked at a little little machine shop. And basically he made bolts, like super high tension, like very interesting material bolts. And they would have to manually create these bolts. 
And so for his entire career, he made these bolts as mundane, but you know, he kind of enjoyed the repetition of it. And, but he never knew what they were for. He just knew build the bolt to this spec and they had to test it constantly and whatever. And so one day he retires. And so one day he's, he's on vacation with his wife and they go to some museum somewhere. And at the museum, they had a mock-up of a nuclear reactor from a submarine. And mind you, he never made the nuts. He only made the bolt. And so he, he's looking at this nuclear reactor for the submarine. And he says, because they had lit, taken a literal reactor and taken the core out and, you know, whatever. It was before they had nuclearized it. So, you know, they put it in the museum. He goes, oh, my God, that's the bolt. That's the bolt that I basically spent my entire career making are those bolts. And he never knew that it was used in a nuclear reactor. He only knew that he had to make a bolt to this specification. That's how compartmentalization works. Right. His whole career, mm-hmm. he had no idea that the bolts that he made, that he manually machined a bolt was used in a nuclear reactor. And there, you know, there are only so many but, submarines. Yeah. So it's not like you make thousands and thousands and thousands of these bolts. That's why they were very specialized. Right, and, and compartmentalization is an essential part of our intelligence agencies. They're able to get away with a lot more. And, you know, the other thing is it's it's put together that way so people won't spill the beans, basically, yeah, if they can. knew everything about what was going on. And uh, another thing that the intelligence agencies do is to purposely put out misinformation and eventually that evolves into disinformation. So you have that combination out there to kind of have people just basically chasing their tails or, you know, people saying, well, there's this theory and that theory. I don't know what to believe. And it's kind of like the JFK assassination or, you know, any big conspiracy like 9-11 they purposely put out a whole bunch of different theories and, uh, you know, they use those as kind of like smoke screens. And, you know, after a while people get frustrated, they say, well, I don't know what to believe. So that is an aspect of mind control programming for the masses. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, we want, uh, stories for our lives and creating new stories uh, can create new realities. But instead of using creating stories for the uplifting of, uh, I mean, these you can use the same tools uh, to heal rather than to destroy. It's just, and then that compartmentalizing, of course, because any ethical person, um, if they knew the full scope of what they were doing, or sometimes like the scientists, uh, they may be well-meaning and say, I want to fund my experiment. And then in some cases, the ones that I know about, that they found out what the government was doing and said, hey, I want to go do something else. Um, but why? I don't know. It's just beyond me. Why? Uh, because they can? Well, no, I uh, think in this case, you know, we were not the first to do it, right? That You know, there's... I mean, even LSD, you know, that came out in Germany. But the the Chinese, the North Koreans, well, the North Koreans working with and for the Chinese, you know, the Russians. And the Soviets. Yeah, the Soviets. Mm-hmm. 
It's uh, turn, yeah, you have to say Soviets. Um, but it, you know, they yeah. they were <laughs> they were very far along, you know, in the program. They were so it was kind of a it was in some ways not to justify it because you can't, but it in some ways it was kind of like keeping up. Right, keeping up with the chances. I understand. Okay, if we don't get them. The Soviets will. Well, the Soviets, I mean, I forget the guys. And that's where the whole base is, the rocket science. and uh, But it was all used for the furtherance. They call it defense, but it's kind of like uh, the demon wars. Well, it's it's mad. The mutually assured destruction, which came out of Rand in game theory. The the Mm -hmm. idea that we had to keep up with them because we had to match them because we had to make it so apocalyptic that they would never do it. Actually, you know what? This is a good time for a break. So why don't we take about a 10-minute break, and then let's let's talk about the Manchurian candidate, targeted individuals, and some of the other stuff where they took it, took the program now. Okay. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. We'll be Sounds back. good. Thank you. I've, I'm very much enjoying this. <laughs> okay. We'll be back in about 10 minutes. Hang on. All right. Thank you. 
Listen to the Enigma Hours with Captain Tiki, me, Olaf Phillips. I got Captain Dave over here. That's right. He's back and I'm front. Okay. <laughs> All right. And you're listening You're listening to us on KADLP uh, 103.5 FM out here. And you do that just fine. <laughs> wonderful Tuolumne County out here in Sonora. The 14 Wonderland that it is. So tonight we're where's Sonora, man? Where where the heck is Sonora? Uh, it's in the on the um, on the mother load. In the mother load, um, it's uh, on the uh, edge of the Sierra Nevadas. Yeah, so it's about two hours from uh, Sacramento. About two and a half from the Bay Area. Uh, they mined more gold out of this area right here where we are at. Than any other place in the world. Um, well, that is crazy. Kind of. See, I, I thought like Sonora was like out in the desert somewhere <laughs> in California, but oh, no. no, no, it's in the foothills of yeah. the Sierra Nevada. High, high foothills. You know, hey, I think so twenty five hundred. So Olaf, I have a question for you. Does Adam? Is that where Adam Go Rightly lives? He lives in Oakhurst. It's probably what about an hour and a half or so from yeah, here. But that, I would oh, okay, I consider that far. part of the mother. Yeah, it's part of the mother. Out there by Mariposa. Okay. Yeah, well, no, he's cool. on fire. That's a uh, co- cohort of ours. Yes. He's a Discordian. Yes, Bella we need Discordian. to have Adam on. <clears throat> yeah, no, we need to have Adam on. He, he wrote a very influential book about Charles Manson. Okay. The Sunset Over Santa yeah. Susana. And uh, did they experiment yeah, on his Laurel, brain as Laurel well? Canyon yes. uh, exploits. Oh, yeah. He, Carrie Thornley and JFK and... Now it's George. Yeah, talk about mind control, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, I was I was talking to Dave while we were taking our little break, and uh, uh-huh. I was trying to explain to him the whole thing with the catcher and the rye, and I thought, you know, let's let's do that yeah. one. So why don't you talk to us about catcher and the rye? Well, I mean, you have people like uh, Mark uh, Chapman and John Hinckley Jr. Right, right. Who were uh, they were sort of mesmerized by that book, and within a few months, they were involved in some pretty high-profile assassinations. Yes. Or with Hinckley, you know, assassination attempt, and then with John Lennon. But there are, I think, certain types of books, or certain even types of phrases that might be used as sort of like as triggers 
to initiate a mind control program. And some surmise that Catcher in the Rye may have been that um, because of both Chapman and Hinckley Jr. You know, the other thing I found, there's a lot of interesting uh, uh, synchronicities with both Mark Chapman and John Hinckley Jr. that a lot of people may not realize, but... um, According to a very credible source, they were both in Hawaii at different times, but went to this uh, mental facility at Castle Memorial Hospital. Really? In, in Hawaii, yeah. Uh, the other interesting thing is that they both have connections with uh, this this philanthropical organization. I forgot the name of it. World something. Do you remember that organization? No. Where they they feed the hungry. Uh, God, I wish I remembered it. It's okay. But uh, John Hinckley Jr.'s father was associated with it. And then Mark Chapman worked for this uh, philanthropical organization to feed the hungry. It was the same organization, basically. Um, It'll come to mind later, but... So, yeah, there's some really weird synchronicities with both Chapman and John Hinckley Jr. And, again, both of them had this fascination with the book Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, I think it was actually found on them both, right? Yep. Yes. And I think in the case of uh, Mark David Chapman, he was actually reading it when they found him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, instead exactly. of just them being both obsessed uh, with this uh, with this book, these different places that they may have visited, um, they were exposed to some kind of mind control experiments. That's a theory. That's the theory. The, right. the other one is... No, uh, it's a theory, but but again, it, it's some interesting uh, connections. For sure. Um, yeah, find the name of that uh, organization that John Hinckley Jr.'s father was uh, president of. And, and basically, it was a, a CIA front. So I'm going to try to find that. But uh, anyway, um, you know, the thing is, uh, there's a good movie called Telephone with Charles Bronson in it. Oh, yeah, he was just telling me about that. Yeah, and, you know, he was uh, this, like, Soviet admiral or general who was trying to stop this mad scientist from activating these sleeper assassins in the U.S. that were actually from Russia, but they were able to blend in to American society. So you had one that's uh, a pilot, one that's a housewife, one that's a, a priest. And so this scientist who kind of went rogue started activating That's them. Donald Pleasance. And what he what he did Yeah. And so what he would do is he would call on a uh, a phone in at a phone booth 
and start reciting a poem. And, uh, and this poem was the trigger mechanism to activate the programming. And so once they, once he was able to activate the programming, all hell broke loose. Same, same concept as a Manchurian yeah, candidate. Right, and I actually seen in yep. the old black and white, The Saint, where the oh, guy okay. made a phone call and said one word, and then the person's face went blank, and they went out and uh, committed crimes. So, so how about uh, Alice in Wonderland? Well, I mean that that's that's another type of programming trigger, um, and there's a lot of uh, kind of like neuralist neurolinguistic programming associated with that. And NLP has to do with word association. And, sure. Uh, I actually the, took the a course at NLP. NLP is, yeah, and I mean, it, it can be uh, something that's benevolent. A lot of people in sales use it. I, I know like in Kirby, Kirby Vacuum, people use NLP. But uh, a lot of TV evangelists also use NLP. Well, we used and to use it by example, uh, um, substituting words to uh, for the benefit. Uh, so there's this lady that everything was a disaster, and then uh, uh, she started substituting the word. Everything is an inconvenience, and actually reprogrammed her mind. Right. And uh, she had to stop yeah. taking blood pressure medication. So that's what we'd use NLP for. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but right. in this case, tell me more. Uh, I mean, what are the dangers of you know, neurolinguistic? Well, I mean, you know, uh, Donald Trump is another person that uses NLP. And basically, it's a way, it's using uh, or repeating certain phrases or words, usually about three times. It also has to do with um, body language and how you use your hands. And uh, it's used in such a way where it affects somebody's subconscious mind and they just, you know, become sort of hypnotized or entranced. And uh, so, again, a lot of this happens in, in real, religious settings. Uh, politicians use it. Like I said, Donald Trump was great at it. And uh, uh, he knew very much, <laughs> he knew very well what he was doing. And, uh, you know, you, that cult leaders use it, Right. And yeah, Jim Jones used it. So this is a very, a very instrumental tool within mind control programming. Jim Jones, another potential mind control candidate, by the way, have links to the CIA. Mm-hmm. Jonestown. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How things? Yep. What a double-edged tool. Well, it's like Ericksonian hypnosis. Yeah. It's the same, same concept that you can hypnotize somebody by talking to them. And it, it's more about the tones <clears throat> and the speed versus what you're actually saying. And once you get them in mm-hmm. a light trance, then you can start to program them, especially with NLP. No, NLP is, a, yeah. is very beneficial, but also very dangerous, depending on who's using it for what. 
No, we used to use it for to make people healthier. Yeah, you used it in a in a benevolent good way. <laughs> Jim Jones mm-hmm. used it used it for flavor aid. I mean, you know, everything's double edged. Yeah, we do things with people's right. consent. Of course. And uh, you teach them how to do it, and then they do it on themselves. Yeah, it's but even even in NLP, self-administration. Yeah, but even in NLP, when you were doing mm-hmm. that, you would teach them anchoring and and the and the triggers. You know, squeeze your thumb, and then that would activate. You know, a, a trigger that would go back to an anchor event that was a positive thing, and yeah. Uh, and boy, how it how can yeah. be perverted? It works. No, there, there okay, some... I, I found out what that philanthropical organization was. That's a CIA front. Okay. That both Mark Chapman and John Hinckley Jr. Uh, were affiliated with. It's called World Vision International. Wow, I remember that organization. I've heard of that organization. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it was actually a, a CIA front. And they go to, into like third world countries and try to help you know, help refugees and stuff like that. But what they would do invariably is provide those lists to whoever the uh, ruling government was. And some of these people that were at these refugee camps set up by World Vision uh, were taken by the junta or these soldiers and never seen again. So, yeah, World Vision has a very... Uh, CD past, but both Mark Chapman worked for World Vision. John Hinckley Jr.'s father was the president of World Vision. So that, again, another intriguing synchronicity. So now that we're talking about triggers and, and people being triggered to do stuff, why don't you get into targeted individuals and, and that whole the science of that. So, right. So basically it's sort of like MK ultra 2.0. It's, it's sort of the next version because, um, like we talked about earlier, the, uh, church hearings back in the mid seventies was sort of a, uh, congressional hearing where they were talking about, okay, this is what the CIA and department of defense did. And, you know, you can slap our wrists, slap our hands. We were bad. Sorry about that. <clears throat> but there was a continuation of it. But now it's more in the realm of electronic or digital, where we have individuals that are called targeted individuals. And these targeted individuals, some of them hear voices. And when they go to their doctor or psychiatrist, they're usually diagnosed as schizophrenic. And again, earlier, I had mentioned the fact that my employer, who used to be involved with the Defense Intelligence Agency, overheard these doctors saying how easy it is to create artificial schizophrenia via electronics. And so there's something that's referred to as voice to skull technology or V2K. And V2K is where you're able to transmit um, like inaudible voices directly into the brain 
where pe- people are hearing things. It's bypassing the regular auditory system, and they're hearing these voices inside their head. And it's like, what the hell's going on? A lot of these people who are hearing this are either whistleblowers or, you know, journalists or, you know, there are some people, of course, that it's just sort of a random thing. They have no idea why they're hearing these voices. But, you know, it's a perfect cover to make somebody appear to be crazy or just schizophrenic. And uh, so back in back in the '90s, I read a when the internet was coming out. One of the first alarming articles I read was by this former U.S. Army intelligence officer who was involved in the electronics. Her name was Julianne McKinney, and she wrote a. Uh, article called Microwave Harassment Through um, uh, Non-Ionizing Technology. And it had to do with, she was privy to some of the uh, initial test experiments done in Panama, Somalia, using these laser technologies on individuals and Basically, what it would do, it was, it would inca- in, incapacitate people and just fry their brain through these microwave lasers, these microwave weapons. And when they were actually doing autopsies, this was again in both Panama and Somalia, they would, you know, open up their, their skull and their brain was just mush, which was indicative of, uh, you know, severe, significant uh, radiation through microwave. And, uh, but then there's the other, again, the the other part of it had to do with voice-to-skull technology where people were hearing voices. And I think this was done to be able to, you know, make a person appear to be crazy. And so it's, it's a very perfect cover to be able to, discredit a whistleblower or, or somebody who's, you know, out there on the forefront. Wow. So what, what kind of range are we talking about here? Well, actually the range is, uh, it could be like one of those, uh, vans that sort of pops up and has one of those radars on it to a, uh, satellite satellite technology. I have a good friend that I've known since uh, the early 2000s by the name of Jesus Mendoza. And he's, I would say he's one of the first documented targeted individuals that I know. Jesus was going to Cooley Law School in Lansing, Michigan. And he was in his last year of, uh, you know, getting his uh, law degree and he, he found out that the uh, president of the law school was embezzling funds from minority students. And so he was like appalled by that. And he was exposing what was going on through the school newspaper. And then within a few months, Jesus was 
uh, feeling really sick, disoriented. Uh, he was going through a lot of inflammation throughout his body and having these severe headaches. And he went to the doctor. The doctor did some blood tests on him and other types of uh, testing and came to the conclusion that he was suffering from radiation poisoning. And so he asked Jesus, he goes, uh, are you like near a uh, power plant or uh, a cell tower or microwave oven? And he goes, no, not at all. And the doctor had no idea what was going on. He goes, it, it seems like it's, it's some sort of microwave radiation that you're suffering from. And, you know, at that time, nobody had any idea really what to, what to think. So what Jesus did was he uh, hired this one guy by the name of Roger Tulsis, who was an electronic engineer out of California. I think he lived in Palm Springs. Now, Roger Tulsis was one of... Uh, Howard Hughes' engineers back in the day. And Roger was able to set up some diagnostic equipment for Jesus to see where this alleged um, radiation was coming from. And what they were able to surmise was it was actually coming overhead, the same trajectory as a satellite. So... Again, you know, but that is some precise targeting. Yeah, so there is there are satellites that are being utilized. Um, you you can go back to the eighties during the Ronald Reagan era when they had sort of what was referred to as the Star Wars program. Mm -hmm. And I lived on Maui at the time. They were doing that. They were doing these uh, satellite relays of lasers back and forth to Haleakala Crater, back to these satellites. But, you know, not a lot of information was being divulged at the time, but it was just sort of like, whoa, why are they doing this, you know? And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, satellites are able to do this, to pinpoint, mm -hmm. to triangulate very precisely upon a target. Um, now, with the, the Jesus said he'd never um, encountered the voice, the skull part of it, where he was hearing voices, but he was def definitely affected by it in a very adverse way, as was his family. And it got so bad where he, he had to, uh, his family had to move away it it broke apart his family because he didn't want them to endure all this torture that they were going through. And uh, to this day, he's still undergoing it. He lives in Mission, Texas, but he's doing a lot of uh, legal work um, whereby he's um, trying to put forth these laws with regard to surveillance um, you know, illegal surveillance type technologies that are being used on citizens, along with uh, how Wi-Fi is being used in public schools, and it's having a very uh, negative effect upon the students and 
um, teachers at the schools as well. So, I mean, he's, he's hanging in there the best he can. And, uh, I, I give him a lot of credit, but, so Jesus, again, Jesus Mendoza is probably one of the first well-documented targeted individuals that I know of. But this is happening all over the country and all over the world where people are hear, either hearing voices or having these very uh, profound negative effects because of the, the radiation through these mind-control-type technologies. No, this might be a little something different. Remember a couple of years ago, these diplomats stay in this hotel. I was about to ask about the Havana uh, syndrome. But I, they thought it was some kind of yeah, sonic it's weapon. The Havana syndrome, and yeah. that's a, yeah, that's exactly what this is. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because it wasn't. And in I the mean, hotel. That, that's actually been going on for a long time. Uh, they were also using woodpecker technology back in the 70s and 80s, doing the same thing at um, the uh, Soviet embassy <laughs> that was happening there. So, uh, what, 40, 50 years later, we're hearing about it in uh, Cuba. Right. But, but the same thing was happening back in, in Russia, back in the 70s and 80s as well. But we were probably doing it to them. Yeah, and it goes back and forth. And that's the thing that you brought up, the mutual assured assured destruction. destruction. And it's just, and it is literally madness. Um, Well, the the idea came out of Rand. And, you know, Kissinger is actually credited as being one of the architects of MAD, that he had read the, Mm -hmm. he had read the the, uh, research done by, by uh, Rand, and he he thought, you know, we can use this to kind of control nuclear proliferation and to keep the Soviets at the time from nuking us. And it comes out of uh, John Nash, A Beautiful Mind. John Nash Mm -hmm. came up with something called game theory. Game theory is basically taking a a poker match and bringing it down to mathematical theory. And he actually won a Nobel Prize in economics for, for game theory. And in, in Rand, they had a, in order to test it, they ran a test and it was FU, well, you know the word, but it was FU buddy. And the idea was, mm-hmm. is that you would have a, you'd be teamed up with somebody. And what they wanted mm-hmm. to do was to, to record and analyze the interactions that you had with your buddy. And you were, you were both jewel thieves and you had stolen this huge diamond. And the idea was, is that you could both take it to the fence to sell it, but would you, or would you kill the other person or would they kill you to take it to take and then go to the fence and keep all the money. And there were some very interesting outcomes of it, but but FU Buddy was the basis, was the implementation of game theory. And game theory is ultimately what drove um, the concept of mutually mad, mutually assured destruction. And mm-hmm. then it was operationalized under Kissinger. But what's it really interesting about yeah. mad is that the Soviets took mad one step further. So in, in Russia, under Moscow, there's three bunkers, right? And they're, they're in a triangle. 
and those they're spherical actually the the bunkers themselves are spheres and they're connected by a private subway system there is a line that runs from each of those bunkers back to a, a mountain called Kosmatev in Kosmatev there's what's called a dead hand switch basically if two of the three bunkers i think it's two of the three bunkers go offline the dead hand switch triggers and when that triggers it sends a code out to all their ballistic missile forces to automatically launch a uh, a strike because they don't know if it's a first strike or a retaliatory strike but basically if the dead hand right. switch triggers it's a compl- it's a full response back from both submarines land forces orbital because they have orbital stuff and it ju- they fire everything so that's why they you can't you theoretically can't nuke moscow because if you do if you damage or destroy at least two of those three bunkers then the dead hand switch triggers and this the russians the soviets at the time would fire everything and originally it was in a mountain called yamatau yamatau is so massive the mountain that they had the people that live there watch entire freight trains disappear into the mountain there's a a garrison on the side mm-hmm. of the mountain with 50,000 soldiers on the side of the mountain. It tells you how big it is. But Kosmatev is in the Urals, and it's, it's just as big. But it's a hardened facility. And it literally, there's a room in the middle of it. They hollowed out the whole mountain and turned it into a huge bunker complex. But in the middle of it, there's a room with a dead hand switch. That's how mutually assured destruction. We have airplanes. We have a, a doomsday plane in E7. I think it is that flies around, but mm-hmm. they don't really, they didn't want to trust that. So they literally have a, a mechanical switch that trips and then sends this message out. That's mutually assured destruction. It'll, uh, give, you, it'll give you a headache. That's great. It is. It'll give you a headache. So um, can, we, can we talk about MKUltra 3.0 now? Sure. Sure. Lay it on us. So, so, there's a uh, book called Operation Soul Catcher by Dr. Robert Duncan. Okay. He used to be a scientist for DARPA. He wrote a book, I would say about 12, 13 years ago, talking about how we have the capacity to hack the mind, map the mind, and create a whole different reality within the mind. So I believe this is actually going on today. Um, one of the first individuals that I know, I actually know two people who have undergone this. One is Diana Napolis, who is a, uh, a social worker in San Diego. And this was back in the uh, early 2000s. She was exposing Michael Aquino, and Michael Aquino was a uh, Army intelligence officer who also happened to be uh, founder of the Temple of Set, which is a satanic organization. Splinter from the Church of Satan. He decided LeVay wasn't taking it seriously enough. (laughs) Yeah, so it it was an offshoot of the Church of Satan. So she was exposing some of the stuff going on there. And then all of a sudden she started like having this whole total different reality of what was going on. She'd like look up in the sky and she would see like two suns 
coming together and explode. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell is going on? And then she would uh, hear these voices of like uh, Steven Spielberg, Jennifer Love Hewitt saying all kinds of really nasty things about her to the point where this was like almost going on 24 seven. And she like, she just naturally started going crazy because of sleep deprivation and hearing these voices. And she started even stalking both Spielberg and Jennifer Love Hewitt because she felt that they were trying to, you know, hurt her somehow. And she didn't understand what the hell was going on. And there was a, a restraining order against her. And there was an actual trial where she actually um, was found guilty and had to go to prison. But what they really didn't talk about was she was hearing all these voices. And mind you, she had no mental health issue prior to this of her exposing. Um, and I'm also going to bring up Alex Constantine, who was a, a journalist back in the 90s who was also exposing Michael Aquino. And all of a sudden, he started experiencing the exact same thing as Diana Naples, where he was seeing a whole different reality of what was going on to the point where he just, he had to quit writing. And, uh, you know, he, he put out a lot of good books about mind control and, about, you know, U.S. government atrocities through Project Paperclip, stuff like that. He was actually my favorite journalist back in the 90s. But then all of a sudden, back in the early 2000s, it was like he was incapacitated because, and I mean, I, I talked to him and about what was going on. He had come to Olympia, Washington to talk with me. And he was saying, you know, it was just sort of like, all of, a, all of a sudden, I have, like, these superpowers. I don't know where they're coming from, but I can see things that nobody else can see. And then I, I put all this together, and I'm going, okay, this is interesting. The two people that are out there on the forefront exposing Michael Aquino all of a sudden have this soul-catcher technology-type programming going on. So I believe that We've come to the point now where everyone on the planet is vulnerable to intrusive and coercive mind control. So how how were they delivering this? Um, hard to say. I mean, it could be satellite, which is probably, um, again, like I said, they, they can triangulate uh pretty precisely they've been able to do this for a very long time um but you know the the other thing now where i look at uh mk ultra let's say 4.0 because i know we're kind of short on time right. <laughs> is yeah, through so, so like social engineering through the through um social media platforms and I think that's one of the reasons why we so see so much uh, division going on 
with individuals and, and people like at each other's throats, uh, you know, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, left or right, we're seeing a very scary um, division with uh, just people's opinions about things. And there's something called SOCI, S-O-C-I, which has to do with uh, social organization of, of uh, intelligence. That's actually a uh, AI program. And I, I believe firmly that there was something that was called a few years ago that started, it was called QAnon. Right. Where especially right-wing individuals thought they were getting this insight into the goings-on of what was happening. And it was kind of all associated with Donald Trump. But I believe the reality of that was just sort of a social... Uh, collective consciousness on the internet that was creating this and it was an AI program but yet people were believing it especially those individuals that lean more toward the right and uh, you know this whole Donald Trump cult type thing sort of gravitated toward that and but you know, like one of the things had to do with like uh, the Clintons were um, taken to Guantanamo and all these other politicians and they have all these indictments on, you know, all these pedophiles and stuff like that. But of course, it never came to fruition. But there were a lot of people that sort of jumped on board with that whole thing. And uh, so I think, again, with artificial intelligence, um, the internet, I think that would probably more likely be what we would refer to as M- MKUltra 4.0 as it, what's going on today. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. Math, math mind control. It's interesting you mentioned that because one day <clears throat> I was watching something on YouTube and I I left and let it run. And somebody I know who is knowledgeable about such things made a a fascinating comment. (laughs) I come back and I forget where I was, but you know, I just let it run and person came up to me and said, what were you watching? And I said, I don't know. I was watching something air air crash investigation or something. Right. But I just left it running. And, and he, he said, you know, that video that that's playing is not what you were watching, but that's mind control. And I said, yeah. really? He goes, yeah, no, that <laughs> video is mind control. And it, it was some video that was, yeah. it looked like it was, you know, this is, this is pre quote unquote AI. Although you could argue that AI has been operating for the last 30 years, but <clears throat> it, it looked like one of those videos with the, you know, where they use like the computer voice and it's all kind of like, you know, just kind of, uh, machine generated, but yes. he was like, no, this is, this is mind control. They're saying everything three times. They're changing the tones. They're, they're, you know, mm-hmm. making their voices louder for certain words, the NLP aspect of it, you know, but this is, and it, it was some innocuous video about, you know, green beans or something, but, but the, the mm-hmm. video itself was was mind control basically an implementation of NLP and mind control, 
And so I got curious and I put on a couple of videos that they make for kids. And you know, these are the the videos where you see the the people, the little kids driving around in go-karts or you know what I mean, right? Just innocuous crap videos that you see on YouTube. Same thing. It used NLP and it was using specific specific words, increasing the volume, saying them three times. And it, and I kept going Uh through these, these innocuous, just garbage videos that you just see on YouTube and they were all fitting that NLP program. Yep. And those very, so you see the, the integration of all these type of mind control methodologies from let's say 70 years ago to what's going on today. And, uh, it's very pervasive and it's working very well because, you know, the bottom line is you see so much division, right? right, Within society today to where it's creating a lot of fear in people. And when you start creating a lot of fear, it, people become more pliable toward uh, mind control conditioning. Well, this is also the Hegelian dialectic, right? This is, you know, problem, solution. Exactly. Yeah. You yep. know, yeah, th- there's yep. there's actually a really great documentary done by this guy in Britain called The Power of Nightmares. And although it doesn't get into AI and <clears throat> mind control per se, it talks about how they, the use of of fear as a propaganda technique. You know, we, we're taught mm-hmm. to be afraid. Like when I was a little kid, you know, I was I was taught in the 80s, I was taught to be afraid of the Soviets. And, you know, we watched the day after. Everybody thought we were going to get nuked. We did nuke drills in school, you know. <clears throat> and you, you think that this is an inevitable outcome. And so, you know, I had a friend. He went over to, to the Soviet Union on a, you know, it was one of those high school things. And, you know, he goes over there. His family was actually Russian, so he spoke Russian. And he's like, he comes back and everybody's asking him, oh, what was it like? He's like, I don't know. They were like us. You know, it's just they, they didn't have Jordache jeans. So, you know, I traded a bunch of Levi's and Jordache jeans and got a bunch of watches and cool stuff. Then we had a <clears throat> we had another kid when I was in high school. He came from East Germany. Back when there was in East Germany. He came from East Germany and on a on a kind of, you know, exchange program thing. And, you know, everybody's asking, what's it like? You know, you're the evil empire. You're part of the, you know, the Warsaw Pact. You're our enemy, whatever. He's like, I don't know. We go skiing on weekends and hike through the forest. And, you know, we we stew and, you know, we have kitty cats. And everybody's like, well, I thought you guys were like evil. So, you know, yeah, no, it, it it's a problem response, problem, fear response, problem, fear response. Right. You know, we're trying and to do just really go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, that's why well, I got I was... into radio is uh, I use those yeah. kind of same techniques, but I twist it around and we're spreading joy. Joy and, and love, uh, Dave. Yeah. And, but we're using a lot of the same techniques. Narrative is how we live. So if you change the story, you change the reality. Right. And, but that's uh, what he's saying about four, three and four is is they're changing the reality, which changes the story, which changes the person. 
Yeah, but you got to like, what we're doing is like way decentralizing it. So, you know, the basic unit is like the mm -hmm. family and then the community. Right. And so it's kind of like this ground up kind of thing uh, where we mm -hmm. start in the smaller communities to build an identity. Right. And it's using the same thing, but it's, it's for good. Why, why pervert it like that? It's just, anyway, you know, I worked at, during the close downs of the big state hospitals. I, I was one, uh, that's what I did as I was on the front lines to try to find places for these people. And, you know, when we started talking about this, I mean, I worked with like these prisoners that they'd say, well, will you volunteer? We'll get you out of prison. You volunteer for these experiments, and then the next thing mm -hmm. you know, they're dropping them off to us, the locked facilities. I mean, locked in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I heard the stories about the, some of the things they did at the state hospitals, and uh, uh, it brings all that back. But we used. A lot of those same techniques, the NLP. I would even do ritual magic, you know, <laughs> in in the facilities. Yeah. But it was to try to make them stars. To um, uh, and it was all with consent um, to help them along, find out who they are and be a better them. So it's like a perversion. Yeah of the uh, technology and techniques and... Um, it is. Yeah, and I think we need to really go back and examine some of the esoteric and Gnostic belief systems and try to incorporate that back into society to be able to empower people because they've been so enslaved for so many years, and I think that that's really the bottom line: is to empower, and not to enslave. That you just hit it, man. Uh, thank you. That that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you use these uh, techniques, uh, but uh, for empowerment. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. wow, amazing. So I mean, yeah, it is all the. What is it? The uh, uh, the uh, when Dingo, the uh, uh, the um, this colonialist uh, consumers corporate. You know, I used to be on the radio station Brand X. I'm not going to mention the name of the radio station. Okay. And then they they asked bad. me, you know, I'm sorry, we we don't need you anymore, and they replaced my show. So my show was. Uh, Dear Tuolumne County, drop everything and read. It was uh, actually, bottom line, was a literacy program. It was, okay. we'd do where to pick up the groceries at the food bank and stuff like that. Sure. It was a community program. And they replaced me with Savage mm -hmm. Nation. And the very first oh, time, and I said, I'm going to listen to who replaced me. And he says, you know, and I'm working with these uh, people with disabilities and stuff, like autistic people. And the guy straight, I said, we should take yeah. these people out and put them out of their misery. I mean, and how would they allow that stuff on the radio? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, wow. And it yeah. is this for division. And it's like this, who are the evil minds behind this? 
What is their ultimate goal? Just control and power, manipulation? Um, wow. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay, Dave. It's kind of personal. It is. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, that was a interesting show. <laughs> so, so Ron, where where can people find out more information about you? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't have a website per se, but if people want to correspond with me, they can do so by emailing me at groundzeroron at gmail.com. Now, I do plan to start reviving a couple of different publications um, in the near future. One is MKZine, which is uh, <laughs> a like mind that. control magazine that I put out back in 2002, 2003, and it had a lot of uh, uh, really complimentary uh, success with that. Uh, a lot of survivors of mind control really appreciated it because of its uh, objectivity. So I'll be probably putting that out again soon and also putting together a, a podcast on coercive mind control and invasive human experimentation. So again, just uh, email me at groundzeroron at gmail.com and, uh, you know. Do you have a radio show now or? No? Well, I'm executive producer of a nationally syndicated radio show that Olaf uh, very well familiar with oh, yes. called Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis. And so we touch upon some of these subjects, but uh, I'm going to start branching out and, uh, you know, getting back to some of my origins of uh, publishing. And uh, again, one of them will have to do with uh, uh, mind control because, you know, I think it's something that people really don't have a good grasp about they they hear a lot of things about it a lot of it's spurious a lot of it's sort of out there but i want to try to bring back the reality of what's going on with mind control and how it pervasive it is in all aspects of society today and uh not just individualized mind control but mass mind control as well well, Toyota, oh, what a feeling. That's NLP. There, there you go. <laughs> Seriously, you that's it. No, no, I know that. I, straight up NLP. I, I yeah. realize that. What we, yeah. need, what we need to do is make people aware of those tools right. and uh, uh, just like you said, empower them to be able to use the tools uh, for the betterment of themselves right. and others. Right. Uh, Utilize a benevolent form of mind control. Yes. Not a coercive, invasive form or nefarious form of mind control. Right, with full consent. <laughs> well, definitely, definitely let us know when you get. Yeah, when podcast. you get your podcast going, we'll advertise it here. Absolutely. Or we borrow shows from. See, we're we're community educational stations, and uh, uh, we're part of the public radio exchange, and uh, we borrow shows from Excellent. them. So if you need a place to help you air um, these shows as well. 
Yeah, you uh, can come on after after the Enigma. Well, uh, we have no show on, so hey, <laughs> come on out. Yeah, or whenever. But actually, my my son and I and a good friend, Ilana Freeland, uh, will be uh, involved in this uh, endeavor. So we'll try to get it out. Uh, all, we get solicited all the time with people that interest either in promoting their record or their podcast are their ideas, mm-hmm. and they hit up the uh, community educational. They have a different status. It's actually yep. different than the public radio, but we are part of public radio. Uh, Great. I appreciate that, and I will definitely be in touch with you and Olaf. Okay. Sounds I, great. Yeah, I'm looking forward. All right. Well, that was another uh, <clears throat> Interesting uh, Enigma Hour show. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Again. No, I did. Thank you very much for coming on. And, it was and, a good one, Ron. Yeah. Well, I, guess I appreciate it. Thanks so much. <clears throat> well, I guess we'll say good night. Okay. So, good night. <laughs> Sweet dreams. Hope no satellite is beaming in on you in your sleep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. See you later. Keep the faith, everyone. Okay. All right.